If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. The thing that gets me about today's gospel reading, the story of the woman at the well, is how long it is. Oh, my word. It's like reading a screenplay. And I think I actually read a few verses twice just to make it a little bit longer for you. So you know the thing about long sermons, excuse me, long readings, is that uh, they make for long sermons. So I thought today we would go through this passage verse by verse. I hope you're comfortable. Actually, the thing that really gets me about today's gospel reading, joking aside, is the context in which it happens, the cultural and the religious context. So culturally speaking, the characters that we encounter are Jews, that's Jesus and his disciples, and Samaritans. Culturally speaking, these people groups were not friends. They were enemies. But Religiously, they actually shared something in common. Uh, Both the Jews and the Samaritans worshipped the same God, the God of Israel. And even more interestingly, both the Jews and the Samaritans were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. So the woman at the well, along with all of the other Samaritans and all of the Jews, they were all eagerly expecting a Savior, which means... It was on their minds. It was something that was talked about. It was an event that they really believed and even hoped in their lifetime would happen. So this is the context in which the woman at the well has this extraordinary encounter with the Messiah. She's anticipating the coming of Christos. So when Jesus speaks with her, and he speaks profoundly, and even prophetically, about the mysteries of God. And he goes on to name plainly some of the more private details of her life. She had five husbands. She doesn't say, what's up with this guy? Or even, oh, interesting, another prophet. But you'll notice that she is the one that introduces the subject of Messiah, or Christos, saying, I know Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ When he comes, he will show us all things, to which our Lord confirms, saying, I who speak to you am he. Or more literally and provocatively in the Greek, he says, I am, ego I me, I am who speak to you. That is the divine name, Yahweh. So Jesus is referring to himself as Yahweh, which is either an incredible blaspheming offense uh, uh, punishable by death or truth, revealing the truth that he is God incarnate. In fact, the early church fathers see our Lord's words to the woman at the well as one of many theophanies, manifestations of God. He refers to himself as the great I am. The woman then leaves her water jar and runs back into the city and says to her Samaritan friends, could this be the Christ? I met someone who knew everything about me. Could this be the Christ? And they don't say, 
What's a Christ? Because they know exactly what it is that she's asking, because they too are anticipating the coming of Christos, a Messiah. This is the context in which we encounter this story today. This woman at the well is inspiring for a number of different reasons. Uh, The first being uh, that she is brave because she's a woman, not just speaking to a man in broad daylight at this well, but she's a Samaritan woman speaking to a Jewish man in broad daylight, and she has the courage to engage with him. She's also, you'll notice, very open and trusting in her conversation with this stranger. Here's this guy who begins the conversation asking her for water. And then he says, you know, if you really knew what was going on, you would ask me for living water. And she could very well have said, look, man, you wanted my help. Now you tell me you have water. I don't know what your thing is, but have a, have a good day. Um, but she doesn't either close him down. You don't have living water. Um, but she asks, she engages and asks this question. Where do you get this living water? He's open to this idea. And our Lord shares a little bit about what the water is. And then she actually says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. She's open and engaging. And in the end, we see that she's faithful. She believes that Jesus is the Christos. And finally, she has this zeal, this evangelistic zeal, leaving her water jar, running into town, to tell her friends. Forget about the fact that Jesus has exposed these details of her life. That piece doesn't concern her. This man, he he told me all about myself. He knew all about me. Could this be the Christ, she says. Jesus initiates the relationship with her, as he does with all of us. And this woman is brave and courageous. She is open, trusting, faithful, even to the point of becoming an evangelist in her acceptance of Jesus as the Christ. But how does this encounter, this is the question that's been rattling in my mind this week on this passage, how does this encounter translate to the 21st century? How does it translate to today? I mean, how great would it be if the world, or even if Christians, would engage with our Lord with the same courage and bravery and openness and and, and trusting and faithful attitude towards Jesus as this woman at the well did. But our context is so radically different from first century Palestine. I mean, for starters, nobody is anticipating anything. I mean, not at least in terms of a savior or messiah. That ship has sailed. Many people don't believe that God is even real. Or if he is, many people believe that God has abandoned the world. I'm reminded of a song by Tom Waits, the great American troubadour, who once wrote a song called God's Away on Business, expressing this sentiment that God has abandoned the world. And then, how many people have actually been hurt wounded, broken by religion in general, 
by Christians in particular. So not only is the world not eagerly anticipating the coming of a Messiah like the Jews or the Samaritans, but in fact, there is a callous cover that protects the hearts of many wounded souls. So how does the good news of salvation offered to us through our Lord, how does it translate today? This is not a new question. It's a question that Christians have been working through from the very beginning. Beginning with the Gentiles, really, right? The answer begins with the simple truth that while the cultural and religious landscape continues to evolve and to change, the very basic human problem and its divine solution do not. They remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. St. Augustine of Hippo famously wrote in the opening lines of his confessions, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Whether or not we are expecting a Messiah, and no one seems to be these days, we still need one. Knowingly or unknowingly, consciously or subconsciously, mindfully or mindlessly, we all search unceasingly to fill the void of our restless heart. And we try to fill it at times with things of the world, material things, find our own saviors, create our own salvation, but salvation comes from God alone. Part of the purpose of the spiritual disciplines, of the Lenten disciplines, is precisely to meditate on this truth and to put it into practice, that salvation comes from God alone. That, as our Lord says, man does not live by bread alone. It is not the stuff of this world that in the end can save us. In today's gospel, you notice that piece where Jesus refuses the food that's brought to him by his disciples. He's waiting at the well because they go into town for lunch. They come back and bring him lunch. And he says, no thanks. And they're concerned. Well, did he eat? Did somebody else bring him food? And he says, my food, in other words, that which nourishes me and sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me. It is the same as the water in Jacob's well, that material water which does not quench thirst. It is the living water that quenches our thirst. Part of our Lenten discipline is to wrap our minds around this truth, that it's not the things of this world that save us. Salvation comes from God. The physical and the material things of this world Food, money, stuff are all fleeting. That which is lasting and eternal and which alone satisfies our deepest desires, which is in fact our true sustenance, nourishment, comfort, strength, and joy, it is God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is his word and his will which are the sources of light and life. There are no substitutes, no imitations, 
no replacements. And I want to underscore that it is God, the most holy trinity. Did you notice that our Lord references the holy trinity with the woman at the well when he says, the day is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and in truth, which is a reference to himself, he who is the way and the truth and the life. When we seek the things of the, the world and the, the, the desires of ourselves to fill this restless hole in our hearts, we come up short, empty, hungrier still, parched with thirst time and again. But when we seek the things that are above, when we seek first God's kingdom, we will never thirst. This is true today. It was also true yesterday. And it will be true tomorrow and the next day and the next. It's true when the new baby is born, when our health is good, when there's money in the bank, when our hearts are happy. It is equally true when a loved one dies, when the diagnosis is bad, when the debts are large, and when our hearts are heavy. The context may be different and continue to evolve and change, but the gift of God, which Jesus refers to, and the effects of that gift, which is our salvation, they are always the same. And the world may not be looking for the Messiah, but we still have a deep spiritual and existential thirst for something that only the living water can quench the gift of God the Father given to us by his Son through the power and the agency of the Holy Spirit. That living water that Jesus refers to is, without question, the life-giving Spirit of the living God. It is the Holy Spirit. St. John Chrysostom, writing in the fourth century, says, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as water to declare the cleansing that is wrought by it and the great refreshment which it affords to those minds which receive it. And with good reason, he says, for it makes the willing soul like a garden, thick with all manner of trees, fruitful and ever flourishing, allowing it neither to feel despondency nor the plots of Satan and quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. For as one that has a well within him could never be seized by thirst, so neither can he that has this living water. And so it is that our Lord's words to the woman at the well are as true and relevant today as they were then. Our hearts will remain restless until they rest in God. And truly, as our Lord says to the woman at the well, he continues to say to us and to the world that he created and loved, loves. Truly, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask, and he would give you this living water that you would never thirst again. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.